0: Hello, and welcome to another special bonus episode of AgTech So What, brought to you by the AgThentic Group. I'm Sarah Nollette. When we think about the global future of agriculture, especially one characterized by exponentially more climate risk, it's not easy to tell what impact, positive or negative, that insurance, and specifically crop insurance, might have going forward. More risk likely means more demand for and interest in insurance, as farmers and ranchers look for ways to offload some of that increasing liability. But what does that rising risk level mean for the companies that do the insuring? And on top of that, what could technology do for this space? These questions led us to have several conversations with folks on the cutting edge of the Ag insure tech space, and we're pumped to share some of the insights in the coming episodes. But first, the one thing we realized very early on in this journey is that Ag insurance is a complex and mysterious world that, despite how many people use, interact, or pontificate about it, it's just not very well understood. To offer meaningful insights on where the space is going, we knew we needed to start with a primer to bring us all up to speed. So I called up farmer, investor, and Canadian friend of the show, Matt Coots, Chief Investment Officer at Coots Capital. Matt has interacted with the ag insurance space from many angles, including as a farmer, and he graciously agreed to chat through how the sector works. A note here, if you are one of the tens of people who already know everything there is to know about ag insurance, you can skip straight through to the next episode, featuring Damon Johnson of Parametric.ag, for a deeper look at emerging ag insure tech. But if you're like most of us, buckle up for a crash course. Our conversation started with the question of how do farmers understand risk?
1: It, it's certainly ever present because so many of the risks that farmers face are uncontrollable, obviously the big one being weather. Following that, you've got commodity prices, interest rates, currencies, and then another risk of you're buying from branded companies and, and selling things as commodities, oligopolies all around. So farmers live in like a crazy risk environment and just try to deal with it day to day, generally the best way they can, whether it's keeping costs low, not getting overexposed on the things you can't control, debt and things like that. And then maybe like 60, 70% of farmers will generally buy a crop insurance product to protect against severe weather impacts to their crop. And that generally protects you on the edges. And as you've seen biotech and all these different factors have made the tail events much more relevant where the day-to-day weather stuff less so. So farmers, yeah, we generally just try to do our best and to control what we can control, knowing that the uncontrollables will bite us at some point and sometimes several of those uncontrollables at
2: once. So if I were a farmer, how would I know that I like need or could benefit from insurance? And then how would I go about actually purchasing it?
1: I mean, I guess if, if you need like uh, one, every farmer should consider it because every outdoor farmer should consider it. I don't know if you have any indoor, indoor egg investments, but every farmer faces the weather risk and arguably indoor farmers do with natural gas power as well. So everyone should consider it. And then you simply go to your, your broker and generally most insurance in North America anyways is offered and subsidized by the government, which is kind of a lot of farmers to say, solvent for the last um, several decades. So you go there, you get a quote, you compare more or less what your guarantee under certain weather events is compared to your cost structure, and your expected revenues, if that makes reasonable sense, you do it. Obviously you can do a lot more back testing in terms of how frequent these weather events occur, how extreme they are. You can hire meteorologists, et cetera, and actuaries. But most of the time you just say, this seems a reasonable um, premium for the coverage I'm getting relative to my at-risk capital, which would be your uh, costs.
2: And so when you say broker, is that a specific company that only sells insurance? Are they tied to other things that you might be buying? Are they tied to a bank? Who are these insurers?
1: Generally, like I'm in Canada, generally it's just like a government um, entity that, that sells it. And I, I believe the U.S. is bringing a lot more private market players in, but I'm in Saskatchewan. It's Saskatchewan crop insurance. I don't even know if broker is the right term, but the, the agent or the broker that we, that we buy it from. And they, they 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 exclusively just sell sell crop insurance and I guess livestock insurance, but not a not a market that, that we're in.
0: Yeah.
2: And how do the how do the products work for the insurance company? Like how do they make money? We don't
1: have extreme weather events, is how they would make money, I guess.
2: Which seems unlikely. So that's yeah, and, that's the question. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's the extremes, like if some you maybe you claim 10 to 20 percent of the time. So usually they're pretty good. And then the risk, the important thing is the reinsurance to have it a backstop. Because um, if you can have a traditional um, loss ratio, that would be good at say like a 70 to 90% and it means you're making 10 to 30 cents um, uh, margin that's fine. But if you have a unlimited loss type of policy, then you could have a 600% loss ratio sure and, and, and you go and solve them pretty quickly. So those are like the key things I think is what they is. Nobody wants to be the turkey where every day is great. You get plump and fat and then Thanksgiving comes and, and you get your head cut off. I think the whole goal for everybody is to limit those tail events. And just given the mass challenge posed by, by the weather is government's been forced to step in to cover those tail events for farmers, for for past several decades. In one way, there's probably less frequency, as I said, with biotech and and different equipment and and different ways to optimize your crop. However, the costs are so much higher now compared to 30, 40 years ago that there's a lot more dollars at risk. And with the inflation environment, we have specifically the lack of natural gas uh, drilling. The cost of fertilizer is only going to continue to go up probably the same as iron ore and things like that, driving equipment prices um, higher and higher. So probably that that tail risk in the proportion of that severity is is likely going to increase.
2: And is it correct that there's two, at least major types of insurance around like protecting price or revenue and then protecting product quantity? And I don't know, how do you think about the types of insurance?
1: Yeah. So there's like a yield based on the far side, which is strictly just there's kind of an index price based upon how much yield declined and then times by that is if, if you get below a certain trigger, often that's a 70 or 80%. So if your trigger is 80% and you've grown a yield 60% of based upon that expected number, which is based on a farm's past, then you'd get a payout between that 60 and 80% times by the index price. So they all kind of implicitly get to the same way, but some form specific that are focused on say revenue or gross margin or they're specifically underwriting your ability to get to those numbers, and they're looking closer at your cost structure and things like that, actually going over your financial statements. Both obviously have a lot of issues, whether it be adverse selection or um, uh, conflict of interest on the information sharing, but both get to the same way and arguably have the same information asymmetry, just Mm -hmm. for, for different reasons.
2: Yeah, unpack those challenges for me a little bit. My understanding is that you get into these weird, like me against you dynamics, where however much I want to share is to optimize for my side as opposed to what really yeah. happened.
1: Well, it's definitely zero sum. Insurance can, every dollar they they lose is a dollar a farmer a is getting it in their hands. So, a farmer in a claim scenario in the traditional yield base is, is they'll just literally drive the field with the adjuster and they'll look and say, we think this is about this yield compared to what you're expecting. and oh yeah, that sounds right. Or they'll count the bins. That's more for hail, I should say, actually. And then you do inventory record keeping up the bins, which is not generally digital or verifiable. It's just we look and, okay, guesstimate where that is. So it's certainly not... perfect. There's new solutions with satellites that make things more binary and transparent or just weather indices. And then on the financial side, there's less information asymmetry in terms of what's shared, in terms of how decisions are made. It's maybe less less obvious in terms of a different business strategy that's maybe not revenue maximizing, but it's a free cash flow maximization and things like that. So a lot of other things come into account. And then with farmers, of course, you have inventory-driven revenue, not, not 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 physical sales and stuff. So lots of challenges on the analysis of either side, both on the underwriting and then the claims and, and, and loss process as well, loss adjustment process as well.
2: You mentioned underwriting. I want to um, unpack a little bit of the different terms in this space. So you've got like an underwriter, a reinsurer, an insurance agent, a broker, a master general agent. Can you help to unpack these different titles and how they... Interact or walk me yeah. through the value
1: chain. Yeah, so the underwriter would be the person that provides the price. They assess the risk and give you the price, just like a credit analyst or something like that would set your interest rate. The actuary is maybe more an analogy I've heard once before. It is you're driving in a car. Everyone's telling the driver what to do. The underwriters looking out the front window telling them what to do. Well, the actuary is looking out the rear view mirror and telling the driver where to go. But however, the actuaries are probably focused more on kind of your tail terminal risk, full balance sheet. That type of thing where the underwriters may be more focused on interim profit on a policy under the normal assumptions and pricing probably. So they both are important in terms of providing up a, a saleable product, but also protecting the company because it's like any fast growing insurance company is almost to, destined to go bankrupt, but just the way it is. And then now that's why it's important to have different people in, in the industry, such as the managing general agent, you meant because maybe they don't have the same balance sheet risk. They're maybe almost more like a sales force owner in front. And then so they can grow quickly. Presumably that they're spreading their book, uh, their insurance paper over to, to different insurance and reinsurance companies. So they're not having their balance sheet swell up, up so quickly.
2: So tell me about the difference between a reinsurer and an insurer.
1: A reinsurer is the insurer's insurer. Just to put it simply. Put it co- confusing, with simply. Um, yeah, it's
2: funny how it's such a confusing space, right? These terms are, I find it challenging to think about the depth that this industry goes and the amount of margin that has to get divided across all of these players to yeah. to make it work in the current ways?
1: Yeah. So it is the second oldest industry in the world, I think. And so with that, you've got a lot of incumbent terms and a lot of... In- come in layers to the process that maybe should be there or should not be there, but they've slowly gotten there. For example, the loss ratio term is what the industry uses. It's just the inverse of net income. I don't know why people just don't use net income or unlevered cash that's more traditional, but we have to use these confusing things to That in, in other industries of course, but it makes it a little more difficult to discuss with people. And then you've got challenges and what's your risk and what's your probable risk and things like that. So. Assuming this podcast is less than 36 hours, we probably won't get it all covered. Which makes it exciting too, because it's so old. It is everywhere, and everywhere has a different take, a different regulatory environment, different customer base. So there's a lot of different niches of around the world within a, an old archaic system. But it, this is the system works. Sorry, non-insurance companies don't go bankrupt every time there's a blip in the market. They have those insurance layers um, behind those risk, mm-hmm. those risk management layers behind them.
2: Do you think that the like industry could exist without insurance? Matt, there's this kind of statement of it's it's necessary or it's been this way forever. What would a world look like without insurance?
1: Agriculture specifically would be there'd be like probably a couple billion less people alive. I'm I'm sure if not maybe a half the population we have today just because we couldn't take the risk to grow this amount of grain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would definitely be catastrophic in a sense.
2: You mentioned insurance companies when they're high growth, they are at risk of going bankrupt. Like how do they think about de-risking their portfolios and how does the economics of an insurance company sort of impact what products eventually get offered to farmers?
1: So generally just like segmenting your risk um, across different customer bases and things like that. So only taking... Uh, so much exposure, maybe in a different geography or different product class. So maybe the total growth is high, but but maybe you're getting a bit from San Francisco property and the earthquake insurance there, and some in agriculture, weather risk in, in in the Midwest, and terrorism risk in in Toronto or New York, and places like that. So maybe you try to balance it would be the main thing, and then also yeah, mm-hmm. layering it over to other reinsurers, kind of not a lender of last resort, but a, but a backstop of, of last resort.
2: Yeah, it's interesting the costs to manage the risk seem really interesting to me because there's like geographical diversity to manage for that weather risk, maybe different kinds of products. Then you've also got like spreading the margin differently in the value chain. And you mentioned before, like a lot of this isn't digitally native. So it just sounds really expensive to do, let alone like claims on the other side. I guess it's crazy to me how There are so many big insurance companies in the world that have made so much money. And yet when I think about the cost of running a business like this, it's pretty astounding.
1: Yeah. It's good whether it's like archaic IT systems that they're not digital, but they still have, you know, long-term IT systems, lots of people in there everywhere. And then specifically in agriculture, you need to have trucks to get everywhere or fly and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's a it's um, expensive, but maybe that's they charge enough. That's what keeps the lights on.
2: Maybe last question for you, Matt. Is as growing like uncertainty increases around weather risk generally, does that pose a kind of existential threat to? insurance or changes the economics? And what does that mean for farmers?
1: Obviously changes the economics as, as the risk goes up, if the price set appropriately, but in a big part of is specific in agriculture is the government is not the biggest market. The government backs up whether it's the subsidy or not that'll continue to be there. So maybe it doesn't go as extreme because they'll still be there to make sure farmers can afford to have insurance with, the, with their subsidy or not. But certainly directionally, the as risk increases, I think we can all expect premiums uh, to increase as well.
0: There's a lot to keep track of here, especially given that rather than the requisite 30 plus hour intro to ag insurance that Matt suggested, we've spent less than 30 minutes on it. So I want to draw your attention to a few key points. First, insurance, specifically insurance against weather risk, works for farmers usually by closing the financial gap between what they actually have to sell at the end of the season and what they could have had. This is a challenging and expensive proposition. It inevitably requires having a lot of complex information, including plenty that can only be collected by insurance agents and adjusters on the ground. Next, as Matt so aptly pointed out, insurance companies make money when weather destruction doesn't occur, which almost inevitably means that fast-growing insurance companies can quickly end up insolvent due to a single weather event. Consider if, say, car insurance were like ag insurance, insurers would be staring down the risk that virtually every one of their policyholders in a region gets in a car accident on the same day. And the thing is, we know that extreme weather is becoming more and more common, and thus we can expect policies to become increasingly expensive as this gets priced in. The final key point that Matt brings up is that currently, ag insurance is inevitably a zero-sum game between the insurance company and their farmer customers. Every dollar in a farmer's hand, in other words, is a dollar out of the insurance company's bottom line. Pair this fact with the reality that ag insurance is currently a space with a lot of players who look an awful lot like middlemen, seems to us to be a good sign that technology has the potential to shake ag insurance up in a big way. So I asked Matt about how ag insurance is currently using digital tech and what he expects to change in the coming years.
1: There's two avenues. There's one, there's weather centric, which is satellite data. And then just general weather indices data. There could be like a number of private and, and, and government agencies that provide that to report and verify. And so you can use that public weather to confirm an event, and then you can potentially use satellite to confirm the loss from say the day before to the day after. And there's different companies doing that and the models can be difficult to figure out what the Mass, so that would there be ndvi or something like that and then the other one is usage based insurance which is more focused on actually how the farmer operates and so you can use specific data from whether how they how frequently they spray certain operational tools and then even on the weather side more localized stations that a farmer may have and so that's how a farmer can can, can differentiate and that's definitely a small space but certainly is is quite exciting i think for, for a lot of people to um to get better pricing and maybe Generally, more micro layers of insurance. So, maybe you're getting rather than one big, bulky $20 policy that you get in the spring, maybe you're getting 10 different $2 policies throughout or, or something like that. And maybe I'd probably be complimentary where you're getting maybe one $15 policy and two or three small policies is maybe what I would expect. But every time we spray or apply nutrition, we're we're de risking our crop. And so, one would think you, you should have the appropriate de risk insurance price as well.
2: Are you seeing new innovations come in this space? Are you getting startup companies calling or talking to you? Or are you seeing new offerings? Or are there pretty big barriers to entry for innovators?
1: Because the industry is actually kind of segmented in terms of reinsurers, insurers, managing general agents, and then just more like front-end kind of pricing sales agencies. And not even agencies, just companies. Yeah, there is lots of new ones and they're able to grow because they can tap the balance sheets of the insurers and the reinsurers. So we've seen some, some are interesting. There's one here in Canada on the usage side. I think the parametric weather side is, a, is exciting. And, and I think I don't think anyone really cracked the code there. Uh, yet.
2: Tell me, in, give me the one-on-one on what parametric insurance is.
1: It's just... It's almost binary. Did this weather event occur or not occur? So, did you have X number of days over a certain heat threshold? And so that would be when you use that weather industry indice, it would pay off. Or if you had a frost, it would automatically pay off. If it you had too much moisture a certain period, it would automatically pay off. And so that just a specific parallel over a specific time frame with, with immediate or just about immediate payout because you're not, there's no claims management process that's based upon the actual changes to the crop or, or, or to the revenue. It's simply did this weather event occur or, or not occur.
2: And why? I could see why that's appealing to a company to build a product like that because it decreases your cost base and the claims aspect is much simpler for a farmer. Why would a parametric insurance product be appealing?
1: lower premiums. So so if you can get to the same outcome or the same goal of you're you're always insuring against weather, but this is more specific. And so if there's no legacy um, claims management process, you're saving costs there in in, in the premium, as well as if you're actually only insuring over a specific period of time, that's going to cost less. Obviously, you're not getting as much coverage, but one would, one could argue that maybe your risk periods are um, There's only a few very high risk periods over say a farming season, and you only need to be insured for say three weeks and not six months. But so there's definitely lower premiums and then just more specific payouts as there can be a lot of, again, again, the information asymmetry and the adverse selection that comes on the claims management process goes both ways and can be quite stressful for a farmer to deal with.
2: As the industry changes, whether that's more weather, new innovations in this space, more digital technology layers of insurance, how or do you see the skill set of a farmer needing to change to adapt to the changing role of insurance?
1: I don't think it actually be need need to be that extreme because we're already making those same decisions and just be a slightly different premium. So We'll have to maybe make more scenario analysis of what this means to our balance sheet in our uh, income statement. Throughout the year, we're usually, at the moment, it's simply just, if, this, if the, our yield drops by X percent, we'll get X dollars or Y dollars. And, but in this scenario, you may have different scenario bets on, the, depending on, on the parametric or, or usage-based product that you, you have, that's maybe more in-season payouts than, than simply the fall or end-to-harvest payout. Hmm.
2: You mentioned the changes in the biotech space have changed the insurance landscape or like where you need to be insured as we see more kind of precision control and understanding of what are in inputs and how equipment's being used. Could you imagine insurance being tied more to practices and products and embedded in other aspects of what you're buying and managing as a farmer
1: i I hope so yeah <laughs> I hope so because I think any any change in if insurance is your main risk management tool, any change in your business, whether it costs up, costs down, efficient, you know, always changes your risk profile. And so the, the your risk management tool should change, should change accordingly.
0: As I was building out my own understanding of how ag insurance works and what role tech might play in transforming it, I knew that one map simply wouldn't be enough. So I also huddled with Matthew, my co-founder at Tenacious Ventures. He had a chance to talk to some different experts and learn about the sector from a slightly different perspective. Specifically from the perspective of people and companies that are looking to make ag insurance more digitally native. We started our conversation at the same place that Matt Coots and I started with the question of how farmers think about risk. Here's Matthew.
3: The way farmers think about risk is a kind of continuum that, that crosses from marketing and prices and mechanisms to both secure supply and to remove variability from. Sale prices, so forward contracting, options, futures, those are things that relate to unpredictability in the direct cost of production and the direct benefit, right? the direct sort of uh, price that you achieve. And then the other class of risk are the the things that you don't directly control as a rule, which would be up to and including weather- related risk, which would be the primary one. And the overall observation we have in a digitally native world is that these things typically uh, have resisted digitization largely. You still go to your banker for this particular thing, or you go to a grain marketing channel specifically for the elements around securing price and your marketing choices. You go to, you know, a specific underwriter or agent or broker for the insurance part, and so. I think there are two things that are interesting about reimagining those when they're digitally native. But the first is that it almost certainly has an impact on channel, right? They're not digital channels. There, there isn't you know the the kind of digital funnel for the most part. The front end to it is human, is rigid, isn't tailored to you. Like uh, when you buy crop insurance, you'll sit down with a specialist broker and they will already have a set of policies that are pre-baked, right? That That are determined by the kind of risk. So I guess, broadly speaking, there's a structural element to it. So these risk management options that a farmer has access to are the way they are because of market structure and the flexibility that they have or the ability to be tailored is limited because of that. And secondarily, in in some ways, they are the way they are because they're also non-digital. So the other reason that they're often not very flexible is because they're not fully digital in nature. And so the kind of insurance you can buy or the sorts of grain marketing and, and cost protection Alternatives you have access to are the ones that somebody designed based on what happened last season or 10 seasons ago or something like that.
2: Um, when you say not digital, the obvious way that plays out is that it is that the time scale is off in that you're like using last year's models, last season's, whatever. Like it's not that there yeah. isn't digital technology modeling it or you're not getting whatever. It's that the it's not real time and it's leveraging the tools that we now have to know things at a more precise level and to react in more real time? Is that what you mean? It
3: can be both. So certainly, it's not to imply that there isn't technology there, but they're not digitally native, certainly, and they don't necessarily leverage all, all the benefits of digitally native agriculture. So yes, what we mean by that is to say, for sure, the underwriter will have used technology to model their risk, to decide what policies that they were going to put into what markets. But because they're not thinking about the customer experience, they're thinking about their risk, they will have just decided what policies they want to offer, what grains in what markets, and then put those into their highly structured marketplace to the master general agent who will then give it to their brokers, who will then train their salespeople, who will then go and offer those things.
2: Can you explain that again, answering a different question, which is like how the market structure works now? Because I think that's important.
3: To save you the trouble of me fumbling my way through learning out loud, let's just agree that insurance is wickedly complex. But what I think it's important to point out is that the key principal roles are basically around underwriting, which is about quantifying the risk in detail and calculating the prices and costs of insuring against those risks. Insurance is more the commercial aspect of enabling the policies or contracts to be purchased against those specific risks. There are also usually a few layers of other commercial entities between the underwriting insuring entities and the ultimate end customer, and those are roughly distribution-style activities like agents and matchmaking-style activities like brokers and even retailers. Now, this is a dramatic oversimplification, and entities will often perform more than one role. But for the purposes of our analysis, the key phases are the risk and policy part, the distribution part, and the selling part because the way those work in agricultural insurance seem important to us in looking at what might change. They seem important for two key reasons. One, because the structure very much impacts the sort of insurance policies available and how agile those products are to the farmer's needs. The second structural element seems important because it determines how margins are distributed and ultimately what the total cost of the policy is to the end customer. So, for this introductory conversation, let's leave it there, but the conversation continues and you'll get to hear the rest if you stick around for parts two and three in this series. Part two is out tomorrow, featuring Damon Johnson of Global Ag Risk Solutions, who's been a pioneer in the parametric insurance space that Matt Coutts discussed earlier in the episode. Part three will drop in two weeks on June 30th. We're calling it our So What episode where we'll share how we go from noobs just trying to puzzle out a new space to researchers plumbing a sector's edge cases to developing a defensible theory of what we think the digitally native ag insurance future will look like. Until then, thanks so much for listening to another of our experimental new formats. If you like it, hate it, or whatever, we'd love to hear from you. Please let us know what you think on social media by tagging us at agtechsowhat on Twitter, or drop us a line directly at agtechsowhat.com. So that's it for another episode. Thanks to our guest, Matt Coots, Chief Investment Officer at Coots Holdings. And of course,
1: thanks to you for listening. I'm Matthew Pryor. Catch you next time.